Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that you would send your spirit as we look at your word together so that our hearts are set on keeping your decrees to the very end. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we once again return to our series in 1 Samuel and looking at this first king of Israel. Uh, for those of you who are trying to set this in context, uh, if you remember that the Israelites back in Exodus were in Egypt and they were enslaved by Pharaoh and as a result of God sending Moses, uh, they were redeemed from Egypt, taken with the plagues. Uh, God, God sent plagues on the Egyptians and so they were taken out of Egypt by those plagues and the uh, Pharaoh letting them go eventually. And so they came with Moses to the edge of the promised land. Joshua then led the Israelites into the promised land. They lived in the promised land and they had different judges, uh, which is the book of Judges uh, tells us some of the key judges uh, that God sent to look after the Israelites. But then the Israelites want a king. And that's what the book of 1, and 1 Samuel is all about, is about the raising up of a king to lead Israel. And particularly the first king of Israel, which is uh, Saul, and then the second king of Israel, who is David. And so we've been looking at Saul and how he was chosen by God, but then rejected by God because of his sinfulness. And we've seen that coming through again and again. And today we see it again. We see the foolishness of this first king of Israel, of Saul, and particularly his foolishness in his rash words today. We, that's what we're looking at in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 24 through to the end of the chapter. These rash words of Saul that start with this oath that he makes in verse 24. In verse 24, we see, Now the men of Israel were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be any man who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. He makes this oath, which is a foolish oath, and we see again and again through the passage the foolishness of this oath. We see it coming through. Uh, what is the result of this oath? Well, firstly, we see that it causes great distress for the soldiers of Israel. In verse 24, it says, now the men of Israel were in distress that day. These men are fighting men. They've been expending large amounts of enemy uh, energy as they're fighting their enemies. And so they are needing their energy levels to be raised. But instead of that happening, the king has bound them to an oath that they should not eat at all. And so they're caused distress by Saul's words. And it even causes his son to sin. Even though it's in ignorance, he does sin. In verse 27, he breaks the oath of his father that is bound upon the Israelites. Verse 27, but Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people of the oath. So he reached out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. He has eaten when he is not supposed to. And this then, of course, causes disunity between father and son. His rash words have caused his son to even start to despise his father. Uh, we read in verse 29, Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brightened when I tasted a little of this honey. He sees the foolishness of his father's words and how he has been um, energized by eating and how trouble has come upon the nation of Israel because of his father's words. And as a result, we see that the enemy uh, gets away in far greater extent than if the Israelites had been able to eat. We read in verse 30, as uh, Jonathan says, how much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? The enemy is allowed to prosper because of Saul's oath. 
And we also see that the Israelites sin eventually by eating meat with blood in it. They eat food that is not kosher, that the Lord had forbidden that they do. They're not allowed to eat blood uh, with their meat. We read in verse 31, that day after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon, they were exhausted and they pounced on the plunder. And taking sheep, cattle and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. Then someone said to Saul, look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that has blood in it. Not only has Jonathan sinned that day, but because of the oath of Saul, it's led to a series of events that the Israelites are so hungry that they're not waiting to drain the blood from the meat. And so they're eating food that is not kosher. And it is possible that this oath, this foolish oath of Saul's has actually led the Lord to be silent when they inquire of the Lord. In uh, verse 37, it says that God did not answer him that day uh, as a result of the oath and the sin that may have come from that oath. And we also see that uh, because of his rash words initially with that oath, that there's further rash words that come out of Saul's mouth. In verse 38, Saul therefore said, Come here, all you who are leaders of the army, and let us find out what sin has been committed today. As surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives, even if it lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. He's made one silly promise, and now he makes another silly promise that even if it's my son Jonathan, someone's going to die this day for the sin that they've committed. And so we then see that this leads Saul to intend to kill his son. When it comes to light that Jonathan ate that honey that was on the ground, uh, what is we read, what do we read in verse 44? Saul said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. He's ready to execute his son because of his earlier rash words. And he even curses himself in that. He says, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely. He's actually calling down curses upon himself, which, of course, would have to take effect if he doesn't kill Jonathan, which is what we see happens. And, of course, there's disunity that comes between him and his army. And that's the final part of this section. As we read that the men come to Saul in verse 45 and say, Should Jonathan die, he who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Never, as surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. For he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan and he was not put to death. So we see this disunity that's between the king. The king says, this is going to happen. And what does the army say? They say, no, it's not. And so there's this terrible disunity that's come between the king and his own army. What a disaster Saul created with his mouth. Physical vomiting would have caused a lot less mess if he'd just chosen to go vomit on the side of a field somewhere. It would have been a lot better than committing this rash oath. But Saul isn't the only one who made rash oaths in the Bible. Other biblical leaders spoke unwisely as well. Who? Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. What about Jephthah, the judge that came, one of the judges that came before Saul? He put his daughter to death because of a rash oath. And if you want to read about that, you can read it in Judges chapter 11 this afternoon. And even David, the next king of Israel, the golden boy, he says some really daft things as well, some really foolish things, makes some really rash oaths and wants the Israelites to fulfill them and causes them pain. Uh, we've just been reading uh, Second Samuel in family worship in our home, and we read the, about uh, David and his census that he insists upon, that he wants to know the number of fighting men in Israel. And as a result, he knows the number of fighting men in Israel, but God is unhappy. And he ends up 
accepting from God a plague that lasts three days that kills enormous numbers of Israelites. And it's all because of his rash oaths, the promises he made, the words that he, 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 he said that then lead to such disaster and such pain upon the Israelites. And today we see the same, that we have Australian leaders making promises that cause the nation pain. How? Well, politicians make promises that cause pain when they are fulfilled. We see some of them, then they make promises to borrow large sums of money, and then the Australian nation has to pay interest on that debt for years to come because of a promise that a politician makes of, yes, we'll take this money and we'll pay you interest into the future, or starting large building projects. Now, politicians today can start huge building projects that they say will cost this much, but it turns out the costs blow out to even double the original projections, and so they cause pain upon the nation. Or politicians make promises that are unfulfilled. Politicians can make promises and fulfil them that cause pain, but they can also make promises that are unfulfilled. In every election that we see, there are all these promises made, and then they're not brought about once the election comes through, and so it causes disunity amongst the Australian people and particularly towards uh, their leaders uh, because they keep on saying, well, what about that promise you made that you never fulfilled? And so there's this disunity that comes between the leaders and the nation. But the question for us is, are we any better? Are we any better with our mouths? You may say, but I don't make oaths. I wouldn't dream of making a vow like that. I don't say, I swear this is going to, be ha- this is going to happen or I be cursed if this doesn't happen. But Jesus said we should stand by our words regardless of whether we make a solemn vow or oath. He says in, verse, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, Do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. He says you've got to fulfill your words. When you say yes, you better make sure it happens. And when you say no, you better make sure it doesn't happen because he will hold you to account for your words. And as we reflect upon that, can't we see then the pain that we've caused by our mouths, the division we've caused within our families, amongst our friends, in our church, in our workplace, amongst our neighbours? How do we see that coming out? Well, by promises that we make that are fulfilled. Like you, t- you promise to take on a new job and you don't consult with the family and the impact that will have upon your wife and your children or upon your husband and your children. And so you make a rash promise and then it causes pain to others. Or by unfulfilled promises. When we make a promise, and often these are concerned with money or time, we promise to pay or we promise that we will give time or we'll be at a particular place at a particular time and then we don't fulfil on that promise and we cause pain to others as a result. And we can even cause pain by promises that come from great religious devotion. Look at Saul there. You think, did he, did he have the Lord in mind and showing his religious devotion? I think there was part of it. I think he's often seeking, he's self-seeking. But I think by putting the, uh, the army under this curse, he's actually trying to show his religious devotion, that we want to fast today to show our devotion to the Lord. And we can do that too. We can have this religious zeal that causes us to make promises that actually cause pain to others. You just think of the missionary 
who commits to being a missionary overseas and drags a reluctant wife and kids along for the ride. Great religious devotion, yes, want to be a missionary, but doesn't think about the pain that he's causing those that he's meant to be looking after. And children, do you see, even at a young age, the damage that you do with your words, the way that you speak can really hurt others, and particularly the promises you make can cause pain when you don't fulfil them. And even your church leaders here at Dremoyne Baptist, we're meant to be exemplary, but don't your elders speak rashly from time to time as well? I'm sorry to admit that I do speak rashly, and I'm sorry for the pain that I've caused people by words that I've said and promises I've made that I've not kept, or promises I've made and then kept and caused pain as a result. So what are we to make of it all? Saul is a fool. Our leaders of our nation are fools. We are fools. So let's all go home and eat lunch and try and drown our sorrows in television this afternoon and try not to think about the foolishness of this world and the rashness of people's speech and the pain that it causes us. No, I think once again, the Old Testament is pointing us to someone who is far greater than us. Again, we are being pointed to someone who is far greater than us. Who is that? Well, it's the Lord Jesus, the true King of Israel. How is Jesus greater? Well, he always spoke well. His words are wonderful. And we see that again and again as we look at the Lord Jesus in the New Testament and we hear his voice, we see how he is a master of his speech. Firstly, we understand that Jesus knew when to speak and when to be silent. He knew when to hold his tongue, unlike us, unlike Saul so many years ago. In 1 Peter 2 verse 22, it says, He, that's where Jesus, committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He knew when to keep his mouth shut, even under pain. And when he did speak, Jesus always spoke well. We read in Mark 1:27, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. They saw the authority with which he spoke. And in Matthew chapter 7, 28, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we read, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. We don't read anyone saying that about Saul, but they said it about the Lord Jesus. And Jesus never makes promises that he has not already kept or will not keep. We read in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Jesus always keeps his promises and many of them have already been kept and he will keep them, unlike Saul, unlike us. And no humans can ever get in the way of Jesus and say, uh-uh, it's not going to happen, like the army did with Saul. They said, you want to kill your son, Jonathan? No, it's not going to happen. No one can do that with the Lord Jesus and his words, his promises. He always keeps his promises. And Jesus never tests us beyond what we can bear so that we sin. That's what Saul did foolishly with the Israelites. He tested them beyond what they could bear. And they ended up eating meat with blood in it and sinning against the Lord. Jesus never does that. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, and God is faithful. He'll never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He never tests us in the way that Saul did and the way that we test others. And Christ doesn't create division like Saul did. He reconciles instead. He doesn't create disunity. Instead, he promotes unity. We read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We so often create disunity with our mouths. But Christ, the word of God, made flesh. He promotes unity, not division. And Jesus will never allow the enemy to remain undefeated because he has not kept his word. We see that with Saul, the enemy remains undefeated, the Philistines, because of the rash words of Saul. But Jesus, he defeats his enemies. He does not leave them to remain undefeated. And the only distress then that we see Jesus ever causing his people is when he confronts them about their sin. Yes, he is a God who speaks clearly about the sinfulness of sin. And he does so to distress us so that we will repent and come to him and be reconciled and find that forgiveness that we so much need. And so that we cling to the promises that he has made, including the promise that he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the true king of Israel And he is our true king and the king that we love because he always speaks well, unlike Saul, unlike our leaders of our nation, unlike us. And so this passage, it reminds us that at our church, I cannot offer you consistent elders. I don't know what I might say tomorrow that will offend you. And at our church, I can't offer you consistent members. By their words, members have failed me and you and caused us pain by the things that they have said. And by their words, members will fail you, just like your elders will fail you and cause you pain. But all I can offer you this morning then is Christ. And who wants a Joel Radford when you can have Jesus? Yes, we enjoy many good things from one another at this church, but why are we here? Why do we come to this church? Why do we come to worship on a Sunday morning when you could be doing so many other things that the world offers you? Why do you come here? We're here because Christ is here and we meet him here and that's what keeps us coming back. The elders here want to talk about Christ. The members here want to talk about Christ. And so we put up with the offensive things that come out of the elders' mouths or come out of other members' mouths from time to time because around those offensive things, there's things said about Christ that are true and good and come from his word. And we come to hear those. And we see that kind of behaviour happening in 1 Samuel 14 where people put up with dodgy people because they know there is still something of God to be had. Why did so many Israelites still stick with a fool like Saul, a foolish king like him? There was still something of God's spirit in the army. And we see little glimpses of that. We see it in Jonathan, this man who trusts in the Lord. We see him putting up with his father's foolishness 
because he believes in the Lord and the salvation that comes from him. We see it in the priest who says, shouldn't we ask for a word from the Lord? In verse 36, Saul says, let us go and plunder. And the priest says, let us inquire of God here. And so they do. We see something of the spirit still moving in that army. And then when that king wants to kill his own son for eating a bit of honey, what happens? The army says, no, it ain't going to happen. Demonstrating something of the Lord still functioning there in the army. And that's the case for us too. Yes, there's always going to be fools. We are all fools. We're always going to say daft things that hurt those around us. But we keep coming together because we want to hear about Christ and we want to hear his words. And so have you been hurt by the words of others this morning? Well, my encouragement to you is to come to Christ and find comfort in his arms. Yes, we can nurse bitterness if we want to, but we can also let things go by coming to Christ. Let the things that people have said to us, let the things that people have done to us go by coming to Christ and finding the comfort from that king who always speaks well to us if we'll simply have ears to listen. Or are you feeling guilty about the pain you have caused by your promises. As I'm preaching this morning, you're seeing yourself in sore. You're seeing the rash things that you've said and the pain that you've caused people by promises you've made and kept and promises you've made and then not kept. And so you feel the guilt pressing down upon you. Well, my encouragement is the same thing that I said to those who are feeling hurt by the words of others. Come to Christ and find forgiveness from him. Surrender your life over to him as your king. Confess all your rash words to him and the pain you've caused others and find forgiveness in Christ. You may, not find it in, you may not find forgiveness in those people that you've caused pain to, but Christ will forgive if you come to him in repentance and ask that he forgive you. And he will speak lovingly to you and comfort you by his spirit, even as others may remain forever unforgiven against you for what you've said with your mouth. And then as you've come to Christ and found comfort in his arms for the pains that you have or for the guilt that you feel for your rash words, then let us all revel together in the fact that Christ is our king and not Saul and not Joel and not Danny and not Ray and not Josh or not anyone at this church. None of them are your king. Christ is your king, the one who is ever faithful and true in deed and in speech. And so let's do as Charles Wesley wrote, rejoice the Lord is king, your Lord and king adore, mortals give thanks and sing and triumph evermore, lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Let us all be ones who rejoice that the Lord, the Lord Jesus, is our king and not a fool like Saul or anyone else in this world. Let's come to him. Let's speak to him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our king. But we ask that you would help us to see the foolishness of all other kings that beg us, that ask us, that want us, 
to worship them as king, to have them rule over our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see their foolishness and continue to submit to you and rejoice in you. Help us also to see the rashness of our own lips and the pain we have caused others. And as we see that, Lord, we pray that that would work good for us as it causes us to come to you and ask for forgiveness and to hear the words of comfort that you give to sinners like us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.